My name's John Redmond from First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. I think you've chosen a good day to listen because we're going to be thinking about something that we all struggle with, and that is forgiving those who have hurt us. Now, the fact is, if we've lived long enough, we have probably been hurt in life. Sometimes we have been hurt unintentionally. In other words, sometimes there's a person who does something to us and it hurts us, and yet they were not even aware that they did that. And then sometimes in life we are hurt intentionally. In other words, sometimes a person tries to hurt us, and they succeed, and they do indeed hurt us. But today we're going to be thinking about how we can forgive those who have hurt us, no matter how we've been hurt, and by forgiving them, we ourselves can find freedom. And so I'm praying this message will be a real blessing and encouragement to you today. Either in your life somebody has hurt you unintentionally. In other words, maybe they hurt you and they didn't even mean to hurt you. Maybe they have hurt you and they don't even know that they have hurt you. And yet they have hurt you nonetheless. And if you don't deal with that unintentional hurt that has been inflicted on you, bitterness is going to take root and you're going to have trouble in life. And then some here today, and probably all of us, have been hurt intentionally. In other words, there have been those in your life who have tried to hurt you. They have set out to hurt you. They have said things about you. They have said things to you. They had an axe to grind with you, and brother, they, they grinded or they ground that axe. And intentionally, they came after you, and they hurt you, and if you don't let it go. If you don't forgive them as God has forgiven you, you're going to have a problem in life. And so if we could open our Bibles today to the book of Ephesians in chapter number 4, I want us to see three verses that talk to us about the importance of forgiving those who have hurt us. And maybe today when you came into the worship center, that's what was on your mind. How could he have done that to me? How could she have done that to me? Well, I don't know how they did it, but I know you going to have to, uh, to figure out how you're going to respond. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Notice what the Bible says. And do not grieve, that is quench, the Spirit of God. Don't hurt God's Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, how are we going to hurt God? Well, look at the next verse. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And so in other words, if we have in our hearts bitterness towards another human being, anger in our hearts to somebody who has either hurt us intentionally or unintentionally, we're grieving the Spirit of God. But look at verse 32. It says, be kind to one another. Say those words with me. Be kind to one another. And then notice how it describes kindness. Tenderhearted forgiving one another, watch this, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so last week we thought about how God has wonderfully and completely forgiven us of all of our sins. And today we pick up there with this verse in the Scripture that says we are to forgive one another. 
I'm to forgive you. You're to forgive me. We're to forgive one another in the same way that God has forgiven us. And so the million-dollar question today is, how can we do that? How can we forgive? Now, last week I asked you, how many of you ever struggle with guilt over your sins? And I think most everybody raised their hand. Let me ask you today, how many of you would say that at times in your life, you struggle forgiving another person? Would you just raise your hand? Oh, good night. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not you. I don't want to get anybody upset. It's not you. Well, hey. That's one thing I love about First Baptist. Not only is it happy, it's honest. You people are honest. Yes, we all struggle with that. Some churches you'd ask that, they'd just sit there like, no, I never struggle with it. Yes, they, we all struggle with that. And so how can we forgive though, those who have hurt us? Now, let me give you one. I'm going to answer that question. But let me give one, make one statement before I get into the specific answers to that question of how we can forgive. And here's the statement. It's your response that you're responsible for. That came to me very late last night. I was getting ready for bed, and I was just thinking about this sermon. And I just went back to my study, and I just wrote that down. It's your response that you're responsible for. In other words, the person who has hurt you, you're not responsible for what they did to you. You're not responsible for what they're doing to you. You're not responsible for what they have said about you or for what they have said to you. You're not responsible for the actions of the other person. But it is your response that you're responsible for. In other words, in life, God holds us responsible for those things we can control. You can't control the actions of others, but you can control your response to those actions, your reaction to those actions. And so it's your response that you're responsible for. Let's put that in the first person. It's my response that I'm responsible for. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, if you don't even get the points I'm about to give, get that. It's my response. Everybody say, it's my response that I'm responsible for. Let's put it together. It's my response that I'm responsible for. And so here's the question, how can we respond appropriately? How can we forgive those who have hurt us? Number one, I wish you'd write this down if you're a note taker. Change your perspective of the situation. Change your perspective of the situation. Whatever happened or whatever is happening, you have to change how you're looking at that situation. And you have to view it as an opportunity to extend the unconditional love of God. In other words, when somebody has hurt us or somebody has wronged us, the way we normally and naturally look at that is, how dare they? How could they? Why would they? And we look at it that way. Well, if we're going to forgive unconditionally, we have to get to a place where we change how we view the situation itself. And we have to say, this is an opportunity for me to extend the unconditional love of God. See, as long as you look at it, how could they? How dare they? Why would they do? I thought they liked Why would they say, I can't believe that? You're looking at it wrong. And it's going to mess you up. But if you flip that and say, you know what? What's happening here is an opportunity. It is an opportunity for me to extend the unconditional love of God to someone who has done me or is doing me wrong. I have an opportunity 
to do for them what Christ has done for me. Unconditionally forgive. Remember when I was in seminary, one of the classes I took was a preaching class. And I know some of you wish I would have taken more preaching classes, and this could have been a better experience. But I took a preaching class, and there were about 30 of us in that class. And one of the things we had to do in the semester was to stand up in front of the other classmates and in front of our professor and preach a sermon for about 20 minutes. And while we were preaching, the, the professor and everybody else in our class was evaluating our sermons. They had a form. They were evaluating the introduction, the theme the development of the theme, the explanation of the scripture, everything that you did, the conclusion, they were evaluating that. And so at the end of the sermon, the professor would say, okay, this young person has preached. What we want to do, first of all, is have a few words of affirmation. Who can say some nice things about this person's sermon? Well, I always made it a practice when I was out there listening to a sermon to raise my hand and say a lot of nice things about the other people's sermons because I knew my time was coming and I wanted people bragging on me. And so I said, man, that was great. That, you know, I was always... And then after that, the professor would say, okay, let's take a few moments now and let's have some suggestions. What could this person have done better? And so anyway, on the day that I preached, I finished a few affirmations and then the professor said... Does anybody have some suggestions for John, some things that he could do to, could have done to make that sermon better? Well, people begin to raise their hand, and, and uh, of course, I'm just, my head's bad saying, God, please, mercy, help him to be nice to me. <laughs> well, I think he might could have done this, he could have used this illustration better, or he spent too much time developing this, I don't remember, you know, they're just normal things. And then towards the end, this one guy raised his hand, and he just lit into me full barrel. I didn't even know the guy. I can't, I don't even know if, I don't think I had ever met the guy. I I didn't like how he did this. I didn't like how he sounded. I didn't like the speed that he spoke. I didn't like the, I mean, he just lit into me with both barrels. And the first feelings that went through my mind was, I thought, I'll take care of him in football practice this afternoon. (laughs) And then I thought, I'm in seminary, not high school. We don't have football practice. (laughs) I can't do anything to him except just sit here and take it on the chin. He just went on and on and on, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, this is, this is getting uncomfortable. I mean, I've ne- I mean, I've been preaching for 30 years. I'll say this. I have never preached what I would consider to be a great sermon, never. I've preached some that I thought were pretty good until I got ready to edit them on the radio. Then I thought, oh, man, I got work to do because that wasn't as good. But the sermon I preached that day was not as bad as this guy had portrayed it as being. He just went into me. I thought, man, why does this guy like me? I've never even met him. And I can remember after that class was over, I was walking across the campus. I can still see this field I was walking across in my mind, back to my apartment. And I was about as low as I had ever been. And I thought, God, how in the world? We're at seminary, a Christian school. (laughs) And I stood up there and did the best. And I bragged on this guy's sermon weeks ago, and I didn't even mean it. I thought he stunk when he was preaching. And now, but I was trying to be nice. How could, and I was just doing this with my mind to God. And I can still remember this thought running through my mind that I know had to be from God. And here was the thought. It's a test. It's a test. John, this is the first time that you have ever really been criticized in a setting like nobody's ever criticized. But you're getting a little taste of criticism. And it's a test. And it's not important what he said or why he said it or what motivated that anger. What's important is how will you respond? 
And I, don't, I can't tell you that by the nightfall I had gotten that out of my system. But pretty quickly, I just chose to view it as a test and to let it go and not to, not to worry about it. You remember sometimes, we don't see it so much on TV now, but used to you'd be watching TV and it would be a beep. And then they would say, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. I think sometimes in life we're going through things like what I've described when that guy was criticizing me or things you've been through in your life. And I think if we could just tune in to God, we would hear God say, this is a test. It is a test of the heavenly broadcasting station. It is only a test. And I've allowed this into your life so that you would have an opportunity to extend the unconditional love of God. And if we never had some opposition, if we never had some criticism, if nobody ever hurt us, if nobody ever did us wrong, we wouldn't have an opportunity to extend such unconditional love and unconditional grace. So number one, we have to change how we view the situation. Number two, if we're going to forgive people like Christ has forgiven us, we have to change our perspective on the person himself. You have to change your perspective on the person himself or herself. You say, what does that mean, change my perspective? Well, you, you, you try to see that person, whoever has hurt you, through eyes of love and grace and compassion. You try to see them differently. You try to get into their mind. Now, what caused, like that fellow that lit into me in that preaching class, what motivated that? Something had to happen in that guy's life. For him to vent out that much anger toward. There's no, I never had even met him. And my sermon wasn't that bad. And there's, there's no way that th- there's something going on behind the scenes there that I, that I don't understand. And so we have to begin to try to get in the other person's head. To get in their mind. To get in their heart. To get in their life. And to say, I wonder why they would be acting this way. Maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe they have been hurt in the past. And we've always heard the most dangerous animal is a wounded animal, Right? Well, it's true for humans. The most, the most dangerous human being is a human being who somewhere in their past has been hurt. I heard this said one time. I thought it was so good. Hurt people hurt people. That first hurt is an adjective, and that second hurt is a verb. Hurt people. People who have been hurt hurt people. And so maybe the reason that they're striking out against you is because somebody has hurt them. They've got all this anger in in their heart, that anger always is going to find an outlet. And if you get too close to them, you very well may be, it may spew out on you. And so you kind of have to become a little bit of a Christian psychiatrist or a psychologist, and you have to change your perspective on the other person. You try to see whoever hurt you through eyes of love, grace, and compassion. And you say, I don't want to say it this way because this, this sounds demeaning, and I don't mean it demeaning. But you almost have to get to a place where you feel sorry for that person. Now, there's got to be a better way to say that. I don't, I don't literally mean that you feel sorry for them. But you have to look at them and say there's something going on there that would cause them to act that way. Or maybe it's not. Maybe, they've, maybe that's it, not what it is. Maybe they're just, they've got something going on in their life. And maybe it's just sin. And, and there is no excuse. I mean, they're just, they're just mean, and they don't like you, and they're trying to pull you down. Or maybe they've done something that hurts you or that hurt a family member of yours. Sometimes I think that can be even harder if somebody has hurt someone whom you love than if they hurt you uh, personally. I read a story this week that I thought was so good. It's about uh, the Coors, you know, Coors beer. I was going to ask, how many of you are familiar with Coors beer? I thought I'd get them in trouble if I asked that question. <laughs> 
but we've all heard about Coors Beer. And I read this article that was so well written, I clipped it out and I said, I'm going to just read this to the congregation instead of trying to describe it. But it, talks, it, it gives us a little insight into the Coors family. It says this, on February the 9th, 1960, Adolf Coors III was kidnapped and held for ransom. Seven months later, his body was found on a remote hillside. He had been shot to death. Adolf Coors IV, then 15 years of age, lost not only his father, but his best friend. For years, young Coors hated Joseph Corbett, the man who was sentenced to life for the slaying. Then, in 1975, Adolf Coors IV, that's the boy whose father was killed, became a Christian. After he was saved, he divested himself of his interest in the family beer business. In other words, he said, I don't want to spend the rest of my life selling beer, and he went out of that business. But he could not divest himself of the hatred that consumed him. Resentment seethed within him and blighted his growth in faith. He prayed to God for help because he realized how his hatred for Corbett was alienating him from God and from other people. The day came, however, when claiming the Spirit's presence, Adolf Coors IV visited the maximum security unit of Colorado's Cannon City Penitentiary and tried to talk with Corbett, the man who had killed his father. Corbett refused to see him. Mr. Coors left a Bible inscribed with this message. Now, this is what Mr. Coors wrote in the Bible. He said, I'm here to see you today, and I'm sorry that we could not meet. As a Christian, I'm summoned by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to forgive. I do forgive you. And I ask you to forgive me for the hatred I've held in my heart for you. Later, Mr. Coors confessed, and this is what got my attention when I read it. I have a love for that man that only Jesus Christ could have put in my heart. And so what did he do? He went, he forgave the man, and he asked the man to forgive him for having those bad feelings. But what he did was he changed his perspective on this other person. And he began to see this other person through eyes of love, compassion, and grace. And he began to understand, wait a second, when Jesus died on that cross, not only did Jesus die for me, Jesus died for him. When Jesus shed his blood, it was not just for my sins, it was for his sins. And the Bible says that I am to forgive this man in the same way that Christ has forgiven me. He changed his perspective and he said it was only a matter of time till God placed a love in his heart for that man that nobody, nothing but God could explain. I'll say this to you and we'll go on to the next point. If you are struggling with bad feelings towards another person, for however they've hurt you, intentionally or unintentionally, for whatever they might be doing now, if you will begin to pray for that person. I've learned this in my life. I can't be very angry with somebody with that I'm asking God to bless. And if I'm praying for somebody, I don't view them as an enemy. I now view them as a friend. And so it keeps my heart a lot better than it would be. So change your perspective on the other person. And then number three, now remember what I've said so far. Change your perspective on the situation. It's an opportunity 
to extend the unconditional love of God. Change your perspective on the person. Try to see them through eyes of love, grace, and compassion. And number three, make a decision to let it go. You have to let it go. If we're going to forgive a person, there has to come a moment in time where you, as an act of the will, release that person, forgive that person, and you let it go. Now, when you got saved, when I got saved, it was in a moment of time, right? I mean, there was a, before our salvation, we were unsaved, and then after our salvation, we were saved, but at the moment of our salvation, it was an act of the will where we asked Jesus to forgive us, and in that moment, He forgave us. We didn't evolve into salvation. We didn't grow into being a Christian. We had a moment in time where we got saved. Well, it's the same with forgiving others. We're supposed to forgive them as God has forgiven us. And so in God's forgiveness of our sins, there is a specific moment in time where that forgiveness took place. Well, as we forgive others, there has to be that act of the will. There has to be that specific moment where we choose, whether we feel like it or not, whether we even want to or not, we choose to forgive. Did you know in the Greek language the word forgive literally means to let it go or to send away? The word picture for that is a bird in a cage, and if you walk over and open the door and let that bird fly out, you have, in the Greek language, forgiven that bird. You have released that bird. You have let that bird go free. And see, that's what it is in forgiveness. There's a moment in time we open the cage and we say, you know what, I'm going to let it go. Now, let me say what that does not mean. That does not mean that you are minimizing what the person has done. It certainly does not mean that you are condoning what the person has done. You're not excusing it. You're not saying it was no big deal. I mean, when God forgave us, He didn't condone our sins, excuse our sins, or say it's no big deal. God said to us, it's all a big deal, but I've died on the cross, so I'm forgiving you. And so when we forgive others, we're not making light of their sins, but what we are doing is we're saying, I choose to forgive them. I choose to release them. I choose to let it go. And you know what I've noticed in my life? When we open that door of that cage and let that bird go free, many times we find that we ourselves were the one who was stuck in that cage. Kind of like we were the bird. We were trapped in our own uh, soul or our own cocoon of bitterness and unforgiveness. But when we open it and let it go, say, you know what, I'll let it go. I'm not going to hold that against them anymore. I'm going to release them from what this whatever it is that they have done to me. I read another story that I thought was so good. That goes back to Civil War days. And, of course, General Lee, Robert E. Lee, was heading up the Confederate side. And the Confederates, of course, lost to the Union. And wonderfully, slavery was abolished in our country. But not long after the war, I, I, I thought this was so very interesting. It says, Robert E. Lee visited the state of Kentucky, and while there, he met a woman who took him to the remains of a huge old tree in front of her home. There she cried bitterly that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by Union artillery fire. She waited for Lee to condemn the North or at least sympathize with her loss. 
Lee paused and then said, this is what Robert Lee said to this lady who was hoping he would commiserate with her misery and her bitterness to the Union for shooting at that tree or hitting that tree when they were passing through Kentucky. And he said this to her, cut it down, madam, and forget about it. Cut it down and forget about it. Well, we all have some things in our lives that we need to just cut down and forget about. And today, as you heard that story about General Lee and what he told that lady in Kentucky, cut it down, madam, and forget about it. Probably you thought about something in your life that you need to just cut down, roots and all, and forget about it so that you can be free. I encourage you today, by an act of your will, forgive that person who has hurt you. Just say to God, God, you know what they've done. You know how it hurt me. But today, by an act of my will, I choose to forgive them. And friend, as you release them, you're going to find out that you've set yourself free and you're going to be able to enjoy the life that God has given you. Thanks for joining us today. Be with us next time.